Ron and Donna Mueller, uh, missionaries to Angola, can we give them a big hand as they come? It was on purpose. Okay. <laughs> he did call us Don and Ronna when we came in the door this morning, so I want to make sure it, it was on purpose. Dear friend, actually, good friends still do that with our names. Quero saudar igreja como a paz do Senhor. Anybody speak Portuguese? Spanish? I'd like to greet the church with the peace of the Lord. It's, uh, that's actually our greeting in Angola. We say a paz do Senhor when we greet one another, the peace of the Lord. Um, it's kind of our way you actually know someone else as a believer, kind of a cool thing. We have served in the nation of Angola um, for the last 20 years. We arrived in December of 2000. Okay. Uh, arrived in December of 2002, so we're coming up on 20 years. With language school, about uh, 22, 24 years, 22, 3. Um, lose track after the fifth term. And uh, it's been an amazing adventure, I'll say. When we said yes that very first Sunday morning, on a Sunday morning when our missionary was preaching, and um, we responded, Ron and I responded to that um, tug in our hearts that we were to go. We didn't know where that was and what that would look like. Um, but then we began to prepare, and Ron went to um, Bible school, and I actually felt I was to go into nursing school, and we just began to prepare ourselves for where God would lead us. And I'll just do a plug for your El Salvador trip. Our very first missions trip after we felt called to missions was to Ecuador. Ecuador is our first one. We spent our first anniversary in Quito, Ecuador. Not very romantic, but it was memorable. <laughs> that, that trip has its experiences. And we went to Mexico. Then we later served in Namibia for a few years and came back and really sensed this call was a long-term thing. And so we committed to full-term missions, and, um, and now we're in, we're in deep. We're heading back on Thursday for our fifth term. And um, that, that first, you know, we say yes to the Lord at salvation, right? We say, yes, Lord, I will receive your free gift of salvation. And then he begins to work in our hearts, and we begin to feel his love, we begin to have a revelation of what he's done for us and what he's given for us. And I remember those years when we were at the Assembly of God Church in Manteca, and um, I just, we had this call and it was stirring. And I, I remember having this feeling that I wanted to give my entire life to God's service. And I, I heard a missionary one time, he said, The only regret I have, he was in his 70s, he said, The only regret I have is I don't have another life to give in service to the Lord. And I thought, Lord, let that be my only regret at the end of this life, that I have given, I've been obedient to whatever you've asked me to do, and I don't have any regrets, but only that I would have more life to serve for you. And we do have life. We're alive and breathing, and so we can give him everything. Um, you know that yes that we say after salvation, we have to keep saying yes. And uh, sometimes those yeses are hard. Um, sometimes the Lord asks us to actually... Uh, put aside something or let go of something and that's a yes in a way when we say no I'm not going to do that I'm not going to follow that direction but Lord I'm going to say yes to you and I'm going to follow what you're leading Isaiah 6 verse 8 says who will I send as a messenger to this people who will go for us and my husband and I said Lord we will go send me and again, we didn't know where that was, and then the Lord began to stir in our hearts and direct us to Angola. One of our greatest fears was to have to learn the dreaded second language. 
You know, if you speak three languages, you're trilingual. If you speak two, you're bilingual. And if you speak one, you are American. And we were very, very American. I mean, I'd had high school Spanish. You know, that equated to, you know, yo amo. I mean, we got to language school and you're like, what is, what is an adjective and the object of the preposition? And a prepositional phrase, you know? And he's given this out in Portuguese and you're like, but what is it in English? So fortunately, I was homeschooling our daughter, who was in the first grade, so I was reviewing basic grammar, which was a great help to me for learning a second language. Um, but God has, has been faithful. Um, we said yes. We, got to, we went through language school, which was very, very difficult. I will not, will not uh, make that any lesser than it was, but um, it is cool to have a second language, actually, now, and especially living in the Central Valley with Spanish. It's like, it's really neat to be able to speak a little bit. Um, but after just a couple weeks in Angola, our oldest daughter almost drowned in the ocean, and one of our guards was shot. And actually, the story is in the Freed from Fear magazine back there. I won't tell the whole story, but um, it was a pretty cool um, testimony of God's faithfulness. And our guard was shot, and um, we said, yes, Lord, we will stay. And um, over and over, we've had to keep saying yes. Each term we go back, you know, you know a little more when you go back for the second and the third and the fourth time. And the challenges become different. Um, you know, we start leave, started leaving children in college and going back. Then now we're leaving our aging parents and our children, and we're going back. And, um, you know, you have the moments when you war inside, and people say, you've served so many years, aren't you guys just done? And why don't you just stay now and take care of your parents? And why don't you just be here? And we, we considered that. We prayed a lot. We toyed with that. And um, something inside says, no, we need to go one more time. And so we just keep going one more time. <laughs> one more time, Lord, and then you will show us after that. And he is so faithful. Thank you, Pastor Scott, Pastor Colleen, for having us this morning. Dear friends, I still remember the, the parking lot all of our kids and we were all getting the photo after dinner and uh, just so many memories up in Chico and visiting you guys and yeah now our kids are grown and I hardly recognize your kids because they're adults they're no longer teenagers but that obedience um, you know God calls us to different things our callings are different the the way he leads and directs our lives our stories are different my husband's a he calls himself an HK um, grew up in a, a non-christian home I grew up in a Christian home um, but had never heard of a lost world. I don't know, the church I grew up in, we didn't talk about missions in a lost world. I didn't realize there were people in other countries that had never heard about Jesus. And we have actually experienced that in Angola. Um, and it's really a phenomenal thing to talk to someone and they don't know who Jesus is. And we think, but doesn't everybody know at least they've heard of the name of Jesus? They may not believe in him, but they know of him. And to tell them of a wonderful Savior who came to give them life and um, freedom. I learned something really neat from a, a missionary friend of mine. She served in Angola through the Civil War. So Angola went through 27 years of Civil War, um, and that was after 15 years of a fight for independence. And those 41 years of war pretty much destroyed the country. And she actually was a missionary there. During those years, she has some horrific stories of gunfire, she still couldn't go and listen to the fireworks. It would literally send her off into the memories of the, of the gunfire she would hear. But she told me this story, she said she was heading back for her second term. So you know the second term, 
you already know a little bit. She'd been there four years and all the newness was off and she was going back and she said she was on the plane and she was in tears. Her mom had just passed away and so she had just pretty much had the funeral and then was heading back. She knew what was ahead, um, being in the middle of a war and the difficulties they'd face. And as she was on the plane and she was praying and crying, she felt the Lord speak this to her and she said, the Lord said, you know that this is my will for you, Dickie, to go back to Angola, but the choice is yours. You know, God leaves the choice up to us to respond to him and whatever that may look like in our lives. Sometimes that can be just shaving off a little bit of our schedule and the busyness so we have a little bit more free time in our day to spend in prayer. Maybe it's just giving up some activity or something so that we can be more a part of something else at the church, or maybe it's something in the community. Maybe it's even reaching out to your friend. You ever notice sometimes you feel so busy you don't even have time to respond to a friend, maybe when they're struggling and going through a difficult time, and you think, I wish I had more time to be there for them. And that, that calling of what God asks us to do can look very differently, but the key thing is that we say yes, and we are obedient. And however that may look in your life, for us it's been missions. I never imagined I would live in another country. I grew up in French camp. Does anyone know where French camp is? There's a thousand people in French camp. I grew up in that little town. I never even realized there was a world. And um, to be traveled and, and the lost. And so anyway, when God called us, it really was an eye-opening um, experience. And he's been faithful uh, through these years. We have two girls. I don't think I mentioned that. Um, they are 28 and 24, both of them married. There's our photo up there. Um, our youngest daughter, Brooke, that was her wedding, and our older daughter, Brianna. The older one, Brianna on the left, she's actually 30 weeks pregnant, and um, we are all heading back to Africa. Her and her husband are both missionary kids. He also grew up in Angola, and so they're heading back, not in a formal sense as missionaries, in a sense with like a, you know agency or fellowship, but they're just going back to live and do life there, because for them, that's really home. And so we'll get to be a part of our first grandchild, and that's pretty exciting to see God's faithfulness. But, um, yeah, I just, just want to close today and just challenge you um, to just ask, is there, are there giftings? Are there things the Lord has... I was talking to someone this morning. She said she loves to write. You know, are there giftings? Are there things in your life where the Lord has equipped you with that maybe he would like to use in a greater measure um, to, to minister to other people, to glorify him in some way, to strengthen the body, to uh, minister to someone in the community. And uh, so many times that we can just get kind of caught in uh, the routine of life. It's one of the things I do like about living overseas. I'm reminded every day I'm in a foreign country because everyone who comes to my door speaks a foreign language. And the culture is foreign and the food is foreign and the life is foreign. And it, it's good for me because I'm one of those who kind of gets stuck in like the comfort of just life and it reminds me every day why I'm there and it's definitely God's call that's taken us and kept us and um, we are so grateful for his call it's changed us we definitely aren't who we were uh, 24 years ago when we responded so we're just so grateful thank you guys so much for having us oh yeah we have a video um, short video just about Angola um, the media came out to Angola and kind of did a highlight and so we're in there because we were living there, so.
uh, I understood that God is real. You know, my faith is not because I believe uh, in one preaching somewhere, but I have experience with God. I can hear his voice talking to me. I have a personal relationship with God that makes me to be sure. O meu sonho sobre Angola é que toda criança conheça a palavra de Deus. E por que que implantar igreja é muito importante? É um lugar onde as pessoas podem vir, assentar e ouvir a palavra de Deus. As vidas são transformadas. Achamos que a igreja é o melhor lugar para as pessoas ouvirem a palavra. They are the greatest evangelists and church planners I've ever met in my life. And, and it's a privilege to work with them, honestly. Seeing the difference from 17 years ago to now, seeing the church established, seeing biblical training and teaching, but we're seeing evangelism revival, people coming to Christ. My dream that every corner of this country would be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. in Angola, uh, like that church there, it's kind of humbling, but it's really kind of cool. When, when you arrive, they sing you into the church, and then when you leave, they sing uh, your way out, out of the church. Anyway, that's kind of just fun. You mentioned that you're having a missions banquet, but I didn't hear any African food. I don't know why that is. African food hasn't caught on, and uh, in America. There's a reason for that, by the way. <laughs> One of the delicacies they have in Angola is, is goat intestines, and they have a particular affinity for um, anything that doesn't fall out of the goat of the intestines stays in, and so they tie it up in knots and different things, and there's grass and everything still in there. It's, it's acquired taste. <laughs> We haven't acquired it yet. <laughs> you can smell that cooking a mile away, let me tell you. Anyway, that's some things I'd like to share um, this morning, but I'd like Donna just to come up one more time and, and interpret for me. The national language of Angola is Portuguese. Um, there's 53 different indigenous languages, and I'm not going to attempt uh, even greeting you in, in some of those, but I do want to pray in the national language of Portuguese and ask Donna to interpret for me. So let's go to the Lord once again in prayer, if we could. Querido Deus, querido Pai, mais uma vez, estamos aqui diante do Teu trono. Dear Lord, dear Father, one more time we're here before Your throne. E Senhor, eu sei que eu não tenho as palavras certas para compartilhar esta manhã. And Lord, I know that I don't have the right words to share this morning. Mas, Espírito Santo, eu tenho certeza absoluta que Tu tens as palavras certas. 
But Holy Spirit, I have absolute confidence that you have the right words. Então, por isso, Senhor, estou a orar que cada palavra que sou de mim vai cair no chão e ninguém vai importar essas palavras. And I am praying that every word that is from me would fall on the ground and no one would give importance to these words. Mas a tua palavra, esta é a palavra que nós queremos ouvir esta manhã. But your word, this is the word we want to hear this morning. Então, por isso, nós abrimos os nossos corações para receber a ti, Espírito Santo. And so we open our hearts to hear from you, Holy Spirit. Fala conosco em nossa oração. Speak to us as our prayer. Em nome de Jesus Cristo, nós oramos. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen, amen. Uh, it's good to be here. It's good to be in Cameron Park. First time I've ever been here, actually. We stopped at the Starbucks a couple times, you know, having services in Pollock Pines and other other places. But it's good to be here. Um, I'd like to just share one thing. Um, we are wiser now than we were 22 years ago when we started out. Uh, living in a country with uh, little to no um, electricity or running water. Uh, at our house at the Bible school, we have generators and big storage tanks and different things uh, for our water. But going to village to village, you would never have running water. You, there's a, either a cistern or a nearby stream. Um, and, and the same with electricity. If you have electricity, it's because the pastor has a little generator. So we had to learn or relearn uh, how to do things. Coming from a, a first world country like ourselves with running water and electricity and all the modern conveniences and nice paved roads and all those different things. And then going into a country that's very foreign, and as Donna alluded to, 41 years of civil, uh, 41 years of war, 27 of civil war. The infrastructure in the country, uh, to this day, is completely destroyed. Uh, railways, bridges, roads, you name it. Um, it's pretty rough. <laughs> it's pretty rough. But anyway, traveling from village to village, and one of the things that we do, our heart is, in Angola, is we help establish the church. So. That takes many different forms and many different ways we do that, but we want to come alongside these pastors, these leaders in their villages, in their rural communities, and help that church be established there. Whether it's building a church, we've done um, quite a few of those, 40 uh, and counting so far, but the, it's not the 40 we built, it's those 40, those pastors have taken and planted additional churches. Like the, the second gentleman you saw in the video, Pastor Isaac, who we've been with since, since the beginning, um, we helped build him a church. He was meeting underneath tarps, ministering to children. And he said, missionary, I really need a building. So we helped build him a church in 2006. Well, let me just fast forward to 2022. Uh, that When he was walking in, that was a tabernacle. He's already extended it six different times. Since then, he's torn down the tabernacle for a church plant that he has. He's planted 39 different churches since 2006. And that tabernacle, he outgrew it to such a fashion that he had to build a whole different church, a temple. We helped him with the roof last year, not we, but a partner church here in California that seats 8,000. Um, you saw all the children. He has 1,500 uh, students in, in his Christian school. And he also is a director of Roots of Faith, which is the extension training we take to different villages. We have over 3,500 pastors enrolled in that right now. So uh, that's what I, I, as a missionary, I want the church to be established. And I know it's going to be established 
behind leaders and capable men and women that are going to take the gospel to their community. So that's what we do, whether it's evangelism, whether it's crusades, whether it's building a building, extension training. That's what we're really about is helping the church be established in these villages and different communities. But back to my running water and electricity, um, learning with Pastor Zock, he was our teacher for many years, still is, and many we go to him regularly uh, for advice and insight. But as we traveled together and built churches and did training, we would go to these different pastors' house, and mainly made out of adobe with a thatched roof, and they would always have like an outhouse detached from their house. So when we would go, the pastors would give us their room to sleep in, you know, with a bamboo foundation with, I don't know what kind of mattress we slept on many a time, many a piece of foam. But, and then you would go out to the outhouse when you had to go to the bathroom. Well, I had Pastor Zock teach me how to use the restroom in these rural settings. So he taught me, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you an illustration this morning. In every outhouse in Angola, you'll have a basin. Actually, this is a little small. They're usually bigger than this. I better be careful standing in it. Uh, but he said, okay, missionary, what you do is you stand in the basin, and you stand next to the 55-gallon drum of water. Every outhouse has one. And you take a coffee cup, just like this. You dip it. You get yourself wet. You lather up, and then you rinse yourself off. And then you take the dirty water that you've caught in the basin, and that's what you use to flush the toilet with. So we're doing this, and, and, you know, I'm fresh off the boat from America, and, and I'm getting myself wet with this cup, but it's taking quite a while. But to get the soap off my body, I mean, I'm dunking this thing 50 times just trying to get, get lathered off, the, the soap off. But in every outhouse, there's not just one cup. There's a series of cups on the different shelves. And I noticed there's always this big cup, on one of the shelves. So I'm looking at my, my dinky little coffee cup, and I'm like, you know, this thing, I'm American. Bigger is better, right? I mean, come on. We don't drink little espressos. We drink 32-ounce jugs of water uh, of coffee. So I, I grab this big cup, and like one or two dunks, I'm wet, five or six dunks. The soap is off my body. I teach my wife, hey, Pastor Zock tells us to use this coffee cup, but... This thing works wonders, let me tell you. And so our girls start using it. And when we have teams from the States and Europe come, we're teaching them how to use the bathroom now. You know, you know, we're teaching them to use this cup. This gets the job done. And we're doing this for about five, six years. We're in another village. And we're in a pastor's house, Pastor Luciano. And about 3 in the morning, you know, as you get older sometimes, you guys that are young don't know this yet, but as you get older, Sometimes you have to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. Well, I woke up about 3 in the morning and turned the flashlight on again, no electricity. And Donna's like, where are you going? I'm like, i got to go to the bathroom. She's like, well, i got to go too. I'll go with you. you know, so we go tromping out to the outhouse. And she's waiting for me, and I'm waiting for her. And I just notice as the flashlight's on that my bathing cup was not on the shelf where I left it a couple hours before. But I didn't register. I was tired. We just stumbled back to bed and went to sleep. In the morning, we get up, I go back out to the outhouse, and I notice, lo and behold, my bathing cup had reappeared on the shelf that I had used. And that was when a little light began to blink in my slow brain. <laughs> Something is not right with this picture. 
So I went to, Pastor Zuck was with us on that trip as well, and I said, Pastor Zuck, can you explain the bathroom once again? He's like, missionary, I taught you this five or six years ago. We've been traveling all over. I said, yeah, but I think there's something I might be missing. And I took him to the bathroom. He's like, you're serious? I said, yeah, come. And I said, now, what do you do again? He goes, you take the coffee cup, you get in the basin, you dip out of the 55-gallon drum. And, and I said, but, yeah, but what about the other cup? This big one, I grabbed it off the shelf. He's like, well, missionary, you know, as you get older, sometimes we have to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. And we don't want to go all the way out to the outhouse, so we bring that to our bedroom. So when we have to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, we just go, and then in the morning we go and dump it. Otherwise known as a chamber pot. So basically, we were bathing and teaching others to bathe with a chamber pot for over five years. And I told Pastor Zuck, I said, I have a confession to make, Pastor Zuck. I said, what is it? I said, I've been using the chamber pot to bathe with me and Donna and our girls. And he's like, oh, missionary, don't tell me that. <laughs> I'm like, I'm telling you. He said, missionary, it's worse for us than it is for you. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I've been bathing in urine for five years. How could it be worse for you than me. And he said, well, that 55-gallon drum of water you've been dipping in, that's our clean drinking water, what we brush our teeth with. <laughs> so everywhere we've gone, you've contaminated the water that we use to drink. They still won't let me live that down. Let, let, me, just, let me just fast forward. We travel with our own now. We don't leave anything to chance. <laughs> Donna's made sure of that. <laughs> and, then, and then, you know, it's funny as, as we travel and look in these outhouses and we see, and they, this is a much cleaner chamber pot than what you would see in Angola. And, like, we look at these things like, what were we thinking? What? I mean, of course that's a chamber. Anyway. So, anyway, we're wiser now. Recently, we were uh, given the opportunity, one of the great things about living at the Bible school in Angola is, Watching Bible school students have ministry of their own, sensing God's call on their own, and then stepping out in faith. You saw that little blurb I was preaching at a little, little church, and what I was saying was there's a difference between believing something and applying something. I can believe something, but until I apply what I believe, I'm not going to realize God's power. See, I can believe God's all-powerful, but until I walk out in faith in God's power, I remember Donna alluded that I'm an HK. What, a, what is an HK? I'm a heathen's kid. I didn't grow up in church. And I remember lying on my face, quoting Galatians 3.13, that says that Jesus became a curse for us, that we don't have to live under the curse. And then, 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, Peter talks about um, the vain tradition you've received from your forefathers, but now you've been redeemed by the blood of Christ, meaning you, you don't have to fall back into that familial pattern that you grew up in, is basically what the gospel is saying there. And I remember 
praying over Galatians 3, 13 and 14 and 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 because as I said, I was a heathen's kid and I would lay on my face and I'd say, God, you delivered me from the curse, the, the family tradition that was contrary to your will and to your way. But there has to be application to what I believe. See, there has to be application to what we believe, that we don't have to be what our father or grandfather or what the family that we came from, if it was dysfunctional as mine was, we don't have to repeat that generational tendency. Through Jesus Christ, that curse can be broken in our lives. I come from a family of broken families, but not anymore. Amen. Because Jesus has the power to break those things over our lives. So, well, talking about these Bible school students and seeing their heart, and one of the things that they did recently um, is they began an outreach to orphans in the community around the Bible school. And they asked Don and I to, to share one time and, and as they were launching this orphans outreach, still going on today, um, a lot of hurting young kids. And I was just praying because they asked Don and I to speak, and and I was praying, I was like, Lord, what, what can I share with these kids that have lost so much that will give them a little hope or something? I was just praying and praying, and, and the Holy Spirit dropped in my heart an old Sunday school lesson about a little boy that built a sailboat. I remembered it from years ago. I don't know, it just the Holy Spirit just dropped it in my memory. But I was thinking, these kids can't relate to a sailboat. They have no idea what a sailboat even is. And then I just had this picture of one thing that, Every Angolan boy and girl, what they do is they make their own toys. There's no Walmart to buy a toy in Angola, so they make their own. And I, I have a couple with me today, but I could have hundreds, literally. But uh, this is one. This is a water truck a little boy made, and he used a beer can for the tank in the back, and then um, a lollipop stick for the axles, and then um, an old flip-flop. They would cut circles out. And that's your, your tires, your wheels. And then they'll always put a little string on the front. And it has like a built-in shock absorber from the different tin cans they use. And then they would pull it behind them. This is common throughout much of Africa, especially Angola. And I was reminded of the sailboat, but I thought, I'm going to adapt it to the truck. And so let me tell you the story I told the kids. There was a little boy named John. It would be João in, in Portuguese, but I'll just say John. And he made a little truck, much like this one, and he spent weeks making this little truck. He worked and worked and created this little truck, and he was so proud of it, and he played with it. He even slept with it. And one day, he was at the car garbage pile by his house, and there's, in Angola, there's huge heaps of garbage, I mean, taller than this, this church building. And, and as he was playing with his little truck, the little truck began to roll down the hill towards the open market, the prasa. And it kept rolling faster and faster, and finally little John lost sight of it, and he lost the little truck. Well, a couple days later, he was in the open market, and there was a man selling things on his table, and he saw the little truck that he had made on the man's table that was for sale. And he went up to the man, and he said, Hey, that's my truck. I made that truck. And the man said, It's not your truck. It's my truck. I found it. And if you want your little truck back, you're going to have to buy it. And little John said, well, how much? He said, well, 20,000 Kwanzas, you can have your truck back. And that's a lot of money for uh, an, Afri an Angolan child. 
the Kwanzas, but little John was not deterred. He saved and he worked and he did odd jobs and finally he had enough money, the 20,000 Kwanzas, to go and buy his little truck back. And he went and bought his little truck back from the mean vendor in the open market. And after he had bought it back, he took his little truck and he held it to his chest and he said these words. He said, you are now twice mine. You're once mine because I made you, I created you, and you're twice mine because I bought you back, I redeemed you. See, and that's the gospel in a nutshell, isn't it? The same Jesus that created us, right? Colossians 1, 16, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. That same Jesus that created us, that made us, is the same Jesus that redeemed us and bought us back in our lostness and in our wondering. Even though we were, many of us, including myself, were in the clutches of a very evil owner. Amen. Well, some things about the church in general, we've been home for about 14, 15 months now. I'd like to say I'm a, I'm a fellow struggler. Just because I'm a missionary doesn't mean I've arrived. <laughs> I struggle. But one thing I do know that we have to keep our focus in tune, in check. Because if we don't, I don't, I can get astray real quick. And I was reminded of something you might remember back in September, September 1st, actually, of 1983. There was a Korean airline based, it was flying out of JFK, and it flew from JFK to Alaska en route to Seoul, Korea. And when they were in Alaska, flight double, Korean Air Flight 007, the navigator of the plane entered the coordinates minutely one-off. A minute difference that you couldn't even tell. And that plane took off from Alaska en route to Seoul, Korea. But because of that navigational error that was seemingly insignificant at the time, by the time that plane had traveled six or 7,000 miles, it wasn't minutely off. It was miles off. In fact, that Korean airliner, 007, was so off it flew into Russian airspace. And Russian MiG fighters were deployed. They shot down that airline, and all 269 passengers and crew members lost their lives because what seemed like an insignificant error at the beginning. And I will just say this. You and I, we can seem like we're right, right? The Bible says there's a way that seems right unto man. Right? We can seem like everything's right, but at the end of our journey, we can be so far off from what is true that we can miss it. And that's why I believe we, not just here, but in Angola, we so desperately need the Word of God to bring us back into alignment for what is true and what is right. We have instances throughout the Bible of misplaced, how, 
affinity for different things or a misplaced sense of vengeance. We see the prophet Jonah, remember he was swallowed by a whale because he didn't want to go to Nineveh, which is modern-day Iran, and, and preach repentance to the Ninevites who were enemies of the Jews. He didn't want to do that. And finally he went, you know, you know the story, and, and he, he said, he went to Nineveh, he said, repent, you know, because God's destruction coming, and lo and behold, the Ninevites repented. And you would think Jonah would have been happy about it, but he wasn't. He was mad. He basically said, God, I knew you would do this. I wanted you to nuke Nineveh, nuke Iran, and here you are saving them and sparing their lives. It's, it's better for me to die, God. That's Jonah's words, not mine. And he said, God said, is it right for you to be angry? There's 120,000 people in that city that don't know their right from their left. Remember when Jesus and the disciples were going through a Samaritan village, you can find this in Luke 9, starting with verse 51. They were going through a Samaritan village, but the Samaritans, another enemy of the Jews, they were a mixed race. So they were the outcasts, according to the Jews. But this Samaritan village wouldn't receive Jesus and the disciples. And the disciples, like Jonah, said, Hey, Jesus, you're doing some awesome miracles around here. Remember that story of Elijah when he called down fire and consumed those young people? Lord, let us call down fire and consume these Samaritans. Remember the story? And what did Jesus say? Guys, you don't know what spirit you're operating out of right now. Because you're not seeing things as I see. Your heart isn't for people like my heart is. And that's what God was saying to Jonah. You know, I heard recently, it's like, for those of you that have children, and you tell your child, I, 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 not so much me, I, I was always the sugar daddy with our girls, but Donna was always the mean one. No, I'm just kidding. One time our youngest called, called Donna, Mommy, you're the mean queen. But anyway. <laughs> but I remember Donna telling, especially our oldest daughter, Brianna. Heaven help her, she's still this way. Clean up your room. Clean up your room. It's a disaster, you know. I mean, clean up your room. Brooke was pretty good, but, but Brianna, mm -mm. still to this day. Clean up your room. And... For years this went on, and if you have, if your parents are teenagers or your children have grown, you've experienced the same thing. The goal of parents isn't to completely harp on their children over and over again to do what they should be doing. The goal of every parent is that one day that child will look and see as they see, as the parent sees. That one day our daughter would have looked in her room and said, oh my, it's a bit disheveled. I think I'll set about to make it right, right? That, that's a goal. And I don't think God is that much different. He's waiting for us, his children, to, to begin to see as he sees, to begin to see a hurting world around us. And instead of him saying, go and reach out, go and reach out, sometimes we take the initiative and say, 
Man, that neighbor is hurting. I need to do something about it. Man, that family member needs some care. I need to do something about it. Man, there are suffering people that are fleeing from the Ukraine, pouring by the millions into Poland. I need to do something about it. Man, I believe the Lord waits for that. You know, in Scripture, we don't find many people that got it right, do we? Maybe Daniel. Remember Daniel? He always prayed, Lord, forgive us our sins. He always identified with the people. Me too, Lord. Me too. I'm, I'm in error. And one of the greatest examples, I'm going to paraphrase the story for you, for me anyway, was Abraham. Remember the story, I'll just paraphrase it. Lot, his nephew, gets captured and carried away, right, to Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember the story, right? And, and the angel of the Lord appears to Abraham saying, listen, because of the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah, it's, it's, it's risen up to heaven and it's about to be destroyed. And you know what? Abraham didn't say like Jonah, nuke Sodom and Gomorrah. He wasn't like the disciples that said, call down fire, God, and burn them all up. No, Abraham said, Lord, surely you won't destroy the righteous with the wicked. And the angel said, no, I won't. And then Abraham said, for 50 you won't destroy him. And God said, no, I won't. For 40, for 30, for 20, for 10. What was That's the heart of God. Abraham pled, pled for God's mercy on the heart, on the lives of people that couldn't tell their right hand from the left. And I believe that's still his heart today. We get so wrapped up in our issues of justice and what's right and vengeance that I believe we lose sight. And even in the church, I know it's still a hot topic, but this issue of vaccinated or unvaccinated, the mask or not, I mean, it's become like a primary issue, and it's not. And I'd like to end with a, just another, one more illustration about a consultant that was hired in the late 70s and early 80s, and this consultant became very famous and it was very simple what he did. He would go and meet with corporations. He would just have a simple whiteboard with a dry erase marker. He would draw a black box, and he would say these words. I want you to come up with one word that defines your corporation. So he met with the executives of IBM. They came up with one word. That word was think. To this day, IBM still uses that word think in their business dealings. He met with Hewlett Packard, HP. They came up with one word. That one word was invent. To this day, if you buy a Hewlett-Packard printer, you will see the word invent based on that conversation with that consultant and these executives. Well, Coca-Cola heard about this guy. And so they hired him. He met with Coca-Cola, the board of directors in Atlanta, Georgia, in the early 1980s, did the same thing, same whiteboard, I want you to come up with one word that defines Coca-Cola. And after a lot of deliberation, they did come up with one word. And that one word was taste, T-A-S-T-E. And the consultant said, all right, if Coca-Cola is all about taste, everything you do from here on out has to revolve around that one word. And so Coca-Cola got together. They said, well, if we're all about taste, 
And they came up with something some of you may not remember called the New Coke. They had Bill Cosby as their spokesman. I don't know if you remember this. You're old enough. And they did away with the old Coke. They came up with this new formula because it's about taste. And the new Coke was probably one of the worst, if not the worst, marketing failures in the history of the United States of America. It was so bad that within months, Coca-Cola scrapped the new Coke and reintroduced Coca-Cola Classic. And to this day, you can't find a can of new Coke unless you go to an antique store somewhere. It doesn't exist. Why? Because the executives of Coca-Cola got it wrong. It wasn't about taste. It might have been about tradition, familiarity. We grew up with the crummy taste of Coke, so we were used to it. I still like Coke. But they were wrong. They thought they were right, but they were wrong. And if I were to be the consultant this morning, and I had a whiteboard and a black box, and I were to ask you, what is the church all about? What's that one word, that one name that the church is to be centered around and focused on? Yeah. It has to be Jesus. It has to be. And Jesus was about us, right? We mentioned John 3.16, for God so loved the world, but John 3.17, for God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but through him the world might be saved. See, that's what Jesus is about. And if we're about Jesus, we have to be about what he's about. Now, we can get off track in a variety of issues, and I'm not saying they're not important, but they're not all important. See, Jesus is the all-important one. That's what the church is about. It's about Jesus Christ. And Jesus is about the lost and hurting of this world. So if I'm going to be about his business, I have to begin to ask, Lord, give me your heart, because I don't have it, because I want revenge on Russia. but I know there's hurting people there. Lord, have mercy. Have mercy on the Ukrainians, a peaceful country invaded by a hostile one. See, that, I believe, resonates with the heart of God, that we're saying, Lord, like Malachi, in wrath, remember mercy. So that's what I wanted to end with today. That's why we go back. Because Jesus keeps saying, go. <laughs> and we're kind of simple. <laughs> um, it's not easy. And following God many times is not easy. I'll tell you that firsthand. It can be very difficult. But it's worth it. It's worth it knowing he's with us. Amen. So I just want to challenge you. Be obedient to what the Lord speaks to your heart today and the days to come. Because there's a lot of hurting people around us that need his redemption. That need him to buy them back. Amen, because he loves us, and he cares for us, and he knows where we're at. Amen. God bless you. Thank you, Pastor Scott and Pastor Colleen. Amen. We're going to pray for them in a minute, but I feel like we need to respond, and uh, Timothy's going to come up. You know, I heard him for the first service, and it got better for the second service, so <laughs> had a little more time. But I think that we have to evaluate our heart. What have we allowed in that box?
you know, like he had mentioned social justice or, you know, the mask or we allow politics. How many of you know some churches have got politics in that box? We don't want that. It's got to be about Jesus. So I'm just going to give an opportunity here. Can I just have everybody stand? I mean, first, if you've, if you've never made that first yes, Donna mentioned that. If you've never surrendered your life to the Lord, well, that's the first thing that we need to do. So I just want to give you an opportunity. If you want to make a fresh commitment to God, can I just have you raise your hand where you are? If you're online, amen. Amen. I see a few hands. Can we all just uh, uh, repeat this prayer and know that it's not just words. It does have to come from the heart. So, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to love me, to die for my sin, and accept me. So I surrender my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can I tell you, that's that easy to enter into the kingdom. We make it so hard sometimes. You got to do this. You got to do that. Just surrender to him. But I also want to give an opportunity here today that, what, what an illustration with the airplane, the one degree off. I feel like there's been so many issues in our world these last couple of days that, that, that many times we have gotten off. I mean, we've all gotten off at times, am I right? I'm standing up here, I've gotten off. But I feel like that word today is for us to get back on. That, that whatever is in the box, whatever has been your soapbox, again, it's not politics, it's not the vaccine, it's not, uh, it's not any of that, it's Jesus. So I'm just gonna invite you as, uh, as Timothy is praying, and we're just going to take a few minutes and just say, Jesus, I want you back in that box. And, and you can, you can where you're at, you can come up to the altar. But we just want to spend a few minutes and, in an act of surrender. Lord, I'm surrendering my life again because I want to correct that navigational error. Lord, I don't want the news to detract me. I don't want... Uh, things that just kind of get under my skin to distract me. Lord, let me put you back. And, I, and I'm telling you, I'm, I'm, I'm up here for that. I'm up here for that. Lord, I want you back center. So as he begins to play, well, he's already playing, but I don't know if you got a song or not, but uh, I'm just going to invite you to come up. And let's just take a few minutes, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask uh, Don to come up and, uh, Don, Ron to come up and uh, pray. Uh, just pray as we make that step. So if you feel led, just come on up here to the front. Let's just make a, a fresh commitment to him today. Jesus, you are the center.